Oh, there I am. <laughs> okay. Hey, there I am. Welcome to Grace Point Thursday night. We've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been hitting chapter 12, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I know there are different perspectives out there. We're praying, Father, that you give us wisdom, revelation, and insight into the operation of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, open our hearts and minds to it. Give us revelation. Help us to flow in the Holy Spirit as we're teaching in Jesus' name. So I want to let you know, I know there are different uh, insights and understandings on the gifts and diff even different viewpoints on uh, speaking in tongues and how to interpret what I talked about last week. I'm okay with that. I know people teach it different. Um, I just want to take a hermeneutical approach and interpret these scriptures in light of the context of what Paul's doing. He's addressing the church and what Paul's doing in the language he's using. But I know sometimes people will disagree on different portions of this. People disagree about the communion aspect, women teaching, and you know, there's different controversies in there. The one thing that I want to caution you about if you're studying through 1 Corinthians is cessationist. Cessationist do not believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, and they are wrong. How do you like that? I want to caution you about that, because <clears throat> there's nothing in the New Testament that says that. You have to have a strong bias against the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to say that in the Word of God, God said that these gifts would pass away. Now, he did say in chapter 13, where we're going to read, that one day these gifts would pass away, and we're going to study that, and we're going to read it. But he didn't say it would be in this age, okay? It actually is going to be in the next age when we don't need them anymore. Plus, we know we see people operate in the gifts of the Spirit all the time, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I know they're real. I know they're wrong. The scripture says they're wrong. And my experience also says that they're wrong. Okay. I just want to caution you. I would not read after people, at least in Corinthians, I would not read after them if they're a cessationist because they're wrong and they're going to steer you wrong. Other people have different viewpoints on it within the the body that know that they're real, that's fine. People may have uh, differences. Just want to caution you about cessationists. So let's go on and let's get into chapter 13. Paul says, I show you a more excellent way. Now, what is this chapter called? You know that. What's it called? 1 Corinthians 13, called the love chapter, right? And you people use it at weddings. I use it at weddings. People use it at Valentine's and different things. But what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 13 is he's talking about a new kind of love. He's talking about agape love. Now, unlike our language, in the Greek... There are different words for different types of love. Now, if I look at a girl, let's say when I was a younger man, when I was a sinner, I looked at a girl and I wanted her body, God forbid, right? But I say a young guy 
And he, did, you know, and he tells her, I love you. Well, the, the word for that kind of love, actually, it's probably different words, but you could say Venus, a Venus type of love. But let's say a, a young man and young woman started dating and they had a strong emotional tie, maybe even a soul tie, and that young man loved that woman and she loved him physically. Maybe they started engaging in physical activity and it wasn't that they just had lust, but they had particular lust and desire for one another. Okay, it was an eros. That's a Greek word, eros. It's a love that's physical. It can be emotional. It can be volatile. It's called eros. Sometimes when you first started dating your wife or your marriage partner, you may have started out with a strong eros. You had physically attracted to them. You were emotionally attracted to them. It's very dangerous to fall in love, fall in eros with somebody if you're not equally yoked or you're not a good mixture because your emotions and your passion and your feelings are all involved in it. A lot of jealousy sometimes and you love that particular person. He's the one, she's the one, eros. But you know, you could translate that, love. I love you. Anybody heard that song by Betty Mardonis? If I could fly, I'd take you up into the night and show you a love. I'm telling you, that would be, I could show you an eros. <laughs> I could show you an eros like you've never seen. Strong emotional feeling or tie. Then there's the uh, love uh, storge, which is like affection. You can have affection for a dog. You can have affection for a piece of clothing, a shoe, storge. I really love these pair of running shoes. Do you really? Do you love them? Do you eros them? Do you Venus them? Do you, what you, storge, it's affection. And then there's the love, Sam, you're my friend. Samuel, you back there still? You're, you're my friend. The word is filio. Anybody ever heard of Philadelphia? What do they say that Philadelphia is? The city of what? Brotherly love. Philadelphia. Philio is the Greek word for friendship love. I got a lot of people I love as friends. But there's this word, this new kind of love that Jesus brought on the scene, and it was agape love. This is the God kind of love. This is the way that God loves us. God so agape the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, John says, if God so agape does, if God so agape does, we ought to agape one another. If God loved us so selflessly, we should love one another selflessly. So the agape, agape kind of love, Paul was going to describe that. So if you want to know the God kind of love, or the kind of love that God has for you, and the kind of love that God is birthing in you that you should be expressing, the kind of love that you want to show to your enemies, it's agape love. Well, I just can't forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. I know that you don't operate in agape love. That's what I know. Well, you just don't understand how my wife is. I know that you don't operate in agape love. You've already showed me that. Well, you just don't understand. Now, I know that you showed me that you don't understand what love is. 
because love lays its life down for its brother. Love doesn't, uh, isn't just self-interested. Actually, I love what that kind of a, a, a Christian mystic, uh, I, Meister Eckhart said, love, the God kind of love, is disinterested benevolence. What does he mean by that? Disinterested benevolence means I am going to be good to you without any personal interest. I'm not going to get anything from it. That's the God kind of love. I am going to be good to you whether you're good to me or not. You guys remember that song? I always think about songs. I'll be good to you. Remember that? I'll be good to you, good to you, good to you. That's God's love for you. God is saying, I'll be good to you. And it doesn't matter how you treat me. And that's all the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about if someone smites you on the right cheek, what do you do? You turn the other cheek disinterested benevolence. If someone compels you to go one mile, what do you do? You go two miles. If someone takes away your cloak, what do you do? You give them your coat, right? That is disinterested benevolence. That's the God kind of love. The Bible says God loves or he's kind. Get this. I thought about this the other day because I was trying to think about the Old Testament way that God is portrayed and then the way that Jesus is portraying God. Jesus said that God is kind to the grateful and the ungrateful, the unkind. He's good to the wicked and the ungrateful. Isn't that something? That is disinterested benevolence. That is love. That's the kind of love we should have for everybody. Now, I know when you have children, you've got to discipline them, okay? But that's the type of love. You don't want your kids growing up to be hellions, you know, to be rebellious. So you got to discipline. I know sometimes in our lives we have set boundaries and things, but we should always be walking in this God kind of love toward one another. Um, that is the essence, really, of Christianity, is love and forgiveness and mercy. So Paul is going to describe it. Listen to how he describes it. He says, if I speak to you, and he's going to talk about tongues here, Okay, it's one of the gifts. So he's telling you, if I speak to you with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not agape, I just am like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, another gift here. See, he's going back over. Everything's in context. Everything is hermeneutical. Now he's going back over these gifts. He's saying, if I operate in the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries, I have all knowledge, and though I have faith, perhaps a gift of faith, so that I can remove mountains. Think about Mark 11, 24, 23 and 24. Jesus talked about mountain-moving faith. That I can remove mountains, and if I do not have agape, I am... Nothing. You are a big zero in the kingdom of heaven. You're zilch, zero, nada, nothing. And so am I if I don't operate in agape love. I love that. I am nothing. 
Or Brother Brad, what if I give all my goods to feed the poor? What if I give my body in martyrdom and I, my body is burnt for the cause? But I have not love, agape, giving all my money to the poor, profits me nothing. Nothing, nada, zilch. Burning my body for the cause of Christ without love, nothing. Doesn't do you any good. What do you think God's trying to teach us as Christians above all things? And even in this letter, Paul is kind of giving his golden crescendo here in the letter. Paul's, we've already taught, Paul has told us to honor one another or to look out for the welfare of others. We should consider other people better than us. He said that um, the weaker members we should honor more, right? He's telling us not to destroy the temple. You're the temple. Don't destroy it. Walk in love. Don't take each other to court. All these different things. Uh, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols if it offends your brother or sister. Paul's been teaching this love theme all the way throughout Corinthians. Now he introduces the gifts and the powers of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling you, if you operate in these things outside of love, he says, it is not going to profit you a penny. Not an ounce, not a penny, not one Bitcoin. Now, Brother Brad, what does this love look like? Well, I'm glad, glad you asked. I'm going to call it agape because that's what it is. Agape suffers long and remains kind. Oh, you mean when people are saying bad things about me and my husband's picking on me or my wife's criticizing me that I can be long-suffering and still be kind? Yep, that's what agape love does. Agape love doesn't envy all. Oh, you mean if I walk in the God kind of love, I won't be jealous or envious of other people's blessings? I won't be comparing myself to them all the time? I actually be happy when they're blessed? Yep. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Oh, you mean when I walk in the God kind of love, the agape love, I won't boast or parade myself like I'm something special or I won't be all puffed up like a puffed up toad? Yeah, you won't be all puffed up. What do we call that, guys? Uh, being full of yourself. You won't be so full of yourself. You won't be thinking that you're better than other people. You won't be puffed up. Love does not behave itself rudely. Love does not seek its own. I love that one. Love doesn't always get its own way. Love doesn't always insist on its own way. Okay, it's, you ever heard that saying, my way or the highway? That's not love. You ever heard this song by Frank Sinatra, I did it my way? It's not agape love. It's a much more powerful, fruitful, loving song as I did it your way. <laughs> I humbled myself and I considered you as important or more important than myself. That is agape love 
That's the kind of love that'll set nations free. That's the kind of love that'll bring peace into this world. That's the kind of love that'll save marriages. That's the kind of love that'll save kids out of the orphanage. That's the kind of love that'll raise the dead, heal the sick. That's the kind of love that can change this world. It's completely revolutionary. It's completely powerful, and it's of God. And that's the kind of love that God has put in you, believer, because the spirit of agape has been born again in you. You are of God, little children. And everyone that loveth is born of God. I'm going to go there and knoweth God. But before I do, let's finish this out. Love thinks no evil. Do you think evil all the time about people? Love does not rejoice in sin. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I love this. It says, love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part is done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror darkly, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, I'm going to have to go on just a little bit on this one because I want to finish this text up here. I want to ask you a question. Do you know fully just like God knows you right now? Do you know in part right now or do you know fully? Paul says, one day these gifts are going to vanish, the gifts of the Spirit. When? When you, when you know fully, and you don't know fully yet. Paul said, knowledge will van vanish away. Has knowledge vanished away, people? No, knowledge hasn't vanished. One day you won't need knowledge. Why? Why? He says, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. Okay, when will that which is perfect come? He says, when I was a child, I thought of a child. Uh, for now, how do we see? In a mirror, but then face to face. In James chapter 1, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, now, right now, we are still seeing in a mirror. I could take you there, just trust me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul was saying we still are looking in a mirror and we're seeing a reflection of Christ. In fact, he even says it's a dim reflection. And in James, he says we're looking in the mirror of God's word and seeing ourselves in James chapter 1. We are still seeing in a mirror, but one day we are going to see face to face and that is when the gifts are going to pass away. It is absolutely clear from the text and just, for, for, just so you get this and nail this down forever, and so you're not deceived about it, in 1 John chapter 3, John says, 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know him because it does not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we shall know, have all knowledge, that when he, when he is revealed, because we shall be like him, why? When are we going to have all knowledge? When are we going to be perfect? When he is revealed, for we shall be like him. Why? What does it say? For we shall see him face to face. When? When he comes back. When we're in heaven and we see him face to face. That's when the gifts will pass away. It's as clear as a bell that the gifts have not passed away. Some people will try to use that text to tell you they've passed away. No, they're going to pass away when they're not needed anymore, when we see Jesus face to face, when we're going to have all knowledge, we are going to know as we are known. And just for good measure, I know I quoted it, just, just so you see this, just so you know that we still look into a mirror up to this day um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're still beholding in a mirror right now. When the perfection comes, we are going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to be just like him. We won't need tongues. We won't need prophecy. We won't even need knowledge. We'll have it all when we see Jesus as he is. And we will be perfected in agape love. Isn't that powerful? All right, we'll see you next week.